Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Business of Fun podcast. I'm your host, Dave Wakeman. Today's episode is brought to you by my friends at Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection. Any listing, any sector, anywhere, Booking Protect has you covered with the world's most comprehensive refund protection product. To find out how you and your organization can partner with Booking Protect to deliver world-class customer service, a better, more personalized buying experience, and how you and your organization can create a brand new stream of revenue, visit them at www.bookingprotect.com. While we're on the subject, come see me and Booking Protect CEO Simon Mab at the Ticketing Professionals Conference of Australia on the 14th and 15th of November in Sydney, where I will be giving the opening keynote address on change. Simon's going to be talking about customer service and we'll be hanging out on the trade show floor. Get your tickets today by visiting www.ticketingprofessionals.com.au. That web address again is www.ticketingprofessionals.com.au. As an added bonus, if you buy your tickets today, send me an email at my name, dave at davewakeman.com, and I will give you a bonus. Simon and I have some special things that we will happy to give you if you buy your tickets. Uh, www.ticketingprofessionals.com.au. Finally, I want to invite you to visit me as I give my very first workshop in Australia, in Melbourne, on the 18th of November. Fans for Life, Creating and Keeping Fans in the Modern Economy is going to be a full day of me and you working on strategies, tips, marketing, and sales plans that will help you create and keep the modern fan. We are going to cover things like uh, the sports marketing funnel. Lifetime customer, lifetime customer value, and why it is important to instead think of it as lifetime fan value. We are going to talk about ideas that we can take from around the world, why you need to be world-class, not, not best-in-class, all kinds of subjects. Um, you'll find that by, I'll link it to it in the show notes, but go to Eventbrite and buy your tickets to Fans for Life now. My guest today is Baz Snatter. Baz is a fan engagement and customer-focused consultant and expert. We had a really great um, back and forth getting this podcast set up. He's got a article or a blog post that's going to drop later this week, um, and I wanted to get this podcast out in front of that. That's really great. It's like super well-researched, um, and it covers a lot of really great ideas about how you can grow your attendance. So in our conversation, Baz and I talked about growing attendance, the experience that people get when they go to an event, um, marketing, uh, what customer service looks like, best practices around customer service, thinking about the customer journey. Um, we covered a whole lot of stuff. It was really, really interesting. Uh, I, it was fun. It was a little bit of a hectic thing getting our schedules lined up. Um, but I think this is going to be a conversation that you can learn a lot from. So here is my conversation with Baz on the Business Fun Podcast. I want to welcome Boz Snatter to the Business of Fun podcast. Did I do that right? Yeah, you did. Thanks ah, for having me. That's great. So thank <laughs> you for doing the podcast. We have been back and forth on wanting to do this for a while, and it's very exciting to have you on because you share a similar, actually, I guess a couple similar passions to me, which is fan engagement and marketing and like kind of always mm -hmm. thinking about how you can deliver just a little more value to um, the fans and the customers. Um, can you give everybody like a little introduction to yourself? Because I know that um, maybe a lot of people have never either this will be the first time they're hearing you speak or they might and, or maybe they've seen one of your articles or something on Twitter or social media. Um, so introduce yourself if you would. Yeah, sure. So uh, I entered this business in 2012-ish. Um, Fair introduction. I'm 30 years old, so I've been in this industry not for too long yet. Uh, 2012, uh, and in, immediately after uh, after university, actually, I moved straight to uh, Australia. Uh, there was always this professor saying, uh, "Melbourne is the mecca of sports. Go check it out." And I was thinking, okay, the economical crisis is still hitting Europe hard. So, what are my chances to actually get a job straight away in sports? So, I already. Uh, immediately realized I had to take, uh, yeah, I had to uh, get the advantage when I was gonna enter the market, which is uh, international experience. And if you go to Australia, everyone kind of knows how much 
sports is alive there, and especially in Melbourne. It's it's as soon as I arrived, I uh, I, f- I figured that my professor was not lying. Um, I remember the one time that I went actually I I arrived um, in the middle of the night and I just went for a walk around. Still massively impressed by all these massive buildings, which in Amsterdam we don't have. Uh, as big as they have in New York or in Melbourne, for example. So I was very impressed. I was just walking around. And at some point, I just stood still in this some, sort of like a grassy roundabout. And there were no cars there because it was all, uh, all um, blocked from traffic. And I just started to look around. And then it sank in. I was looking in front of me. And there was uh, this massive stadium, Rod Laver Arena. Later on, I would find out that was actually the, the Australian Open ground. Then I moved a bit to my right. And it was the MCG, massive cricket ground over there and I saw High Fence Arena and then there was the AMI Park where Melbourne City uh, plays its uh, its games and there was the the Westpac Stadium uh, a swimming uh, uh, swimming stadium uh, and there was just so much going on around me already five stadiums around me and that's exactly the moment that I realized yes this was the right choice uh, small uh, 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 fast forward to a year later I gained experience there in, uh, in tennis Australian Open Champions Trophy, uh, not a lot of people know it, but it's field hockey, massive sport in Holland and got a couple of uh, old Commonwealth countries. Um, I worked at the Melbourne Sports and Aquatic Center and actually uh, the funny thing is that I, I got invited via LinkedIn uh, when I was still living in Melbourne uh, for a conference in Sydney if I wanted to become the online communications manager of the event, which was basically just flying over there doing the Twitter and the Facebook of the event and just consume everything uh, what was going on there and that was actually a funny uh, funny part because I arrived there and the, the topic on of the conference was uh, was on achieving bigger crowds and fan engagement and I was like back in 2012 I was like hey, what's what's fan engagement what does it mean and only during the conference I started to realize that if, apparently within sports marketing there was this substream actually interested in the well-being of fans at a sports event and to me that was so completely new because i was an ix fan myself i had a season ticket for many years and it was always such an it was not an unpleasant experience but it was it, it could have been better i was always like okay uh the if you uh, if you would enter the stadium there was the security checkup they would check your pockets and everything and just grumpy men uh, way too bulky uh, guys uh, pushing you away as soon as they, they searched you. Uh, then you went over to get your beer, which was uh, a warm beer. They pushed it over the counter. Half of the beer got spilled over your hand. And it was just not a pleasant experience to be at the stadium. Now, if you see how much the sports industry has evolved over the years, it's just, I think it came from that moment as well that the sports industry started to realize, okay, we need to treat our customers differently. And we need to be. We need to provide better experiences. That mindset I took home. I started my own company, my own consultancy in 2013 in Holland, uh, called Fan Engagement. And up until this day, it's uh, I still run my uh, uh, my own consultancy. I do a couple of gigs here and there uh, while I've done a master's degree. In the meantime, I've worked for two and a half years at AZ, a football club in uh, the Netherlands. Uh, so I actually picked my experiences from a lot of things, but this my own consultancy just kept running alongside of it. And I've had some fantastic projects along the way, just because the market is starting to get it. The market is starting to get that uh, fans are at the center of, uh, of sports. And if you neglect that, the whole business model will yeah, fall apart at some point. Yeah, no, I agree completely. It falls back to the old Peter Drucker idea that you have uh, one job in business. That's to create and keep a customer, <laughs> which yeah, is exactly. strangely enough been basically a tentpole idea uh, in my business over the years. <laughs> yeah, and it's 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 funny that uh, how football clubs are actually uh, – football clubs have, have always been lazy, right? They never had to care for the customer because the, the, the fans – were coming anyways but now since since competition is so fierce in the entertainment industry uh you can do a lot of other fun stuff with your money than going to uh to a sports stadium that's right so they actually yeah then now they have to uh yeah now they have to pick up their game or else people just go to the cinema or go to a different sport or go do sports themselves 
you can go to the pub, right? And there'll be not just one game on, but there'll be tons of games on. So, I mean, right. you're competing against everything now. Exactly, exactly. So let me ask you this, because one of the things that when we were going back and forth on the Twitters about today, when we were going to talk, was over the weekend, I saw you posted, a you were writing, because it was raining mm-hmm. in Amsterdam, and you posted a favorite, <laughs> one of the books that I really like, which is by Philip Kotler, and it is called, oh shoot, now the name is slipping me, but it's The uh, this, it's, the Elusive Fan. The Elusive Fan, that's right, and it um, was written in 2006, I believe, and yes. so 13 years later, it is still holds up to me, my reading. Um, how do you feel it holds up? Because it was written probably when I was about your age and came, mm-hmm. came out about that time. And it was fresh then. It still feels fresh to me now or relevant. Yeah. I think that um, uh, what distinguishes the uh, medium thinkers with great thinkers is that the, 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 the thoughts that great thinkers have last over a very long period of time where what medium thinkers think is maybe a time period of five years or something. This book, as you said, it's from 2006 and it's still 15 years later. I, I still use it uh, because there's so much truth in it where they've actually written about how the how to connect with the fan and they, they've talked, for example, in the book, they talk about content as well. Uh, of course, in 2006, it was in a different way uh, because they did, they didn't even knew about technologies that we have now, even. But there's just the connect, the connection with the fan, other than the the 90 minutes in the football context, which you have with a fan. There's there's so much more that comes uh, comes with that, and I, I, that's why I like the book as well, because everything um, these days is about data and is about uh, social media, where the elusive fan actually talks about. Uh, uh, the connection, the, the the psychological connection and the social connection that uh, a club and a fan have, and I I believe it's 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 like a relationship. It's like uh, like a marriage, for example. You need to work on it from both sides to make it happen. It doesn't work in in utopia. It might, but it doesn't work like that. That we just sit on the sofa and watch sports all day, and we get. Uh, uh, we get drinks served, or we get food served, or whatever, or or that the the. The woman in the relationship is uh, sitting and the man serves, uh, serves everything. It, it doesn't work like that. You both need to work together. You, need, you collaborate in the relationship and you both put the value in it. Um, and that's, that's what they described really well, I would say. Yeah, I think that you know the Elusive Fan fits in there with a couple other books that I think would be really valuable because you highlighted data and social media as being sort of the things that people hold up really is like yeah. super, super important right now. One is um, soccernomics, and the, mm-hmm. the specific point that I would point to there would be the idea that fans have a life cycle, right? And then, like, yeah. where you are in your journey as a fan, it's not consistent, right? It kind of ebbs and flows, and it'll depend on where you are in your life. You know, that yeah. would be one. And then the other one is a book I just really – I don't know where I was that I – finally just read it about a couple months back was marketing outrageously by um john spolstra and the you know the but these books you know they talk about data or content um you know soccernomics was written i think social media was definitely around but um the elusive fan and marketing outrageously were not necessarily written in the age of social media but it's this idea that like you need to put together a holistic picture of what you're trying to achieve and and to me a little bit of the problem and this is what i want to ask you about with this overarching like almost too heavily held belief in the utility of data or social media to solve all problems is that it steals a lot of the holistic picture of the fan Um, a am i wrong for thinking that way and b how do we win that battle back to make the tape Put, look at the customer and the fan a little bit more holistically. Um, very, two very good questions. A, no, you're not wrong. Uh, <laughs> so that, that's the short answer. Uh, I think that it's, um, uh, which already ties into the second part of your question as well. I think it's, it's um, everything that is new uh, becomes shiny, very shiny. And at some point, the shininess falls off and then it gets its actual value within the the range of marketing tools that we have right uh for example um tv commercials when tv came up uh tv was everything and everyone wanted to have a tv ad 
And now, for example, you also have, uh, I, I heard Gary Vaynerchuk say something very interesting in one of his podcasts about this, uh, I think last month, uh, where he said it's, it's one of the best uh, values of, of TV commercial is the Super Bowl ads, the Super Bowl uh, ad slot. And the, the worst one is the, the, the uh, Super Bowls are the most expensive. And the worst one is the, the second most expensive because no one has any idea when that is. Maybe it's it's with some grand final of, of some other sport, but um, you see that market that that, that advertise. The point I'm trying to make is that advertising now it used to be fantastic, but we see that actually slowly society has is, is starting to create some sort of a filter. I call it the bullshit radar, where we go to uh, a sports game in a stadium and we get bombarded with all kinds of, of ads and everything and sponsors that want to have exposure and blah 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 that doesn't work as effectively anymore as it did in the beginning i still know the uh, the sponsors of ajax in the 1980s and the 1990s uh, but now i would probably be able to list not even a handful of them um just because it's so, so such a crowded marketplace in the advertisement uh, scene, right? So, and that's 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 what you've seen with with the advertising. Uh, and now you see the same a bit with social. Social media came up 2008, 2009. Facebook arrived, and a lot of other platforms that just popped out of the ground. All resources went into that, and which is great because that means that uh, sports now have a fantastic presence on the social platforms. But now that, we're, that society is also moving backwards a bit, we're stepping a bit away from the socials because it had the great promise of getting a, giving us a connected world where, uh, I don't know how it is in, in, in the States, but in the Netherlands, there there's actually programs now of kids, 20-year-olds, uh, uh, tw that are uh, lonelier than ever. But they were supposed to be the connected society, right? So that has its effect on now on social media. The shiny goes off social media, uh, off social media, and we now have moved all into the data uh, sphere as well, which is great. We're going to have a lot of personalized uh, uh, offers, etc. And that I believe is definitely going to stick around for for a long time as well. But in the end, it all comes down to uh, humans are social beings, and we want to be a part of a group, and we want to experience things together with the group because that's what creates your your value, that's what makes people happy. And and sports has such a, a tremendous uh, value that it can deliver because if I want to do something with a friend other than drinking in a bar, what can I do? I go to a sports game, for example. I love to go with friends to sports because you have an offline experience where you interact with each other, you experience something, and that's the society we live in as well now, experience economy. And I think that's that's very good to 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 realize that um, uh, that's coming back to the book. It's not a social media society that we live in. It's an it's an experience society. It's it's we're we're part of a pack, and that is something that needs to be maintained. So everything sociological, it always sounds fluffy, but there's a lot of truth in that. Oh yeah, I point to the, some of these psychological and these neuroscience studies kind of constantly. And I think people think I'm, I'm I'm BSing them a little bit, but I'm like going, no, 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 this stuff sounds like hippie, dippy stuff, but it really is powerful because the thing is, is that people don't act rationally; they act due to emotion. Um, mm -hmm. Without emotion, nothing changes, nothing happens, nothing's done, you know. And so you highlighted one thing about the ads, right? Which is People think, oh, my God, I'm going to do this, this ad campaign or I'm going to do all these activations in the stadium or whatever, and people are going to take advantage of it. The thing is is that people have become immune to them because there's like 6,000 or more impressions a day, times that people are having their attention asked for. So how do you react to that? If you tried to pay attention to all 6,000 of them, you'd go crazy. So you, you just become immune to it, right? And so it never breaks through to make an emotional connection, right? And that's what the, where the importance of engaging people in a meaningful way consistently um, is, is important because you, if you're a sports team, right? And this is where the question goes, is like you have attention, right? And you have a product and an experience and something that people not only want, but they yearn for. 
you have they've given you permission to communicate with them if you ask them the right way. They'll and expect it and anticipate it and likely engage with it, which goes back to something I talked about. And I've never had a chance to ask you this, so I want to ask you this because I know you're, you're coming at it from a different point of view. But controllable assets that you control, right? And I'll give you an example, and there is a specific one that I want to ask about because I know in the States – I don't necessarily think the teams are doing a great job with it, um, but email. But controllable assets, in my point of term, is like your email list, right, which I have one, uh, but also this podcast and my blog. I think that those things are the greatest, some of the greatest tools to engage your fans, to market to them, and to build the relationship with. And the email list isn't often used very well. But I know that some of the European soccer teams and football clubs, they do a fantastic job of using email. What's your take on, uh, you know, on controllable assets? And then uh, do you have some suggestions for how people can use them better? Uh, good. Again, a great question. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's... If you do enough of these, you get good at asking questions. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's... Uh, well, what, what you're talking about is the own channels of content, right? What a sports team has. And I think there's a lot of um, there are a lot of good examples out there in Europe in football at the moment, where you see that a lot of sports uh, organizations are starting to experiment more with the content they create. Uh, I don't know if you've been aware of the videos, for example, that Ajax has put out uh, during their fantastic Champions League season last year. They created before the major games before Bayern Munich before Juventus they created fantastic short consumable uh, snackable uh, pieces of content of say two minutes but it was so emotionally uh, evoking it, it, it really triggered so many so much emotions small example uh, is that a striker Casper Dolberg who now unfortunately got sold uh, to a French club but he was uh, in one of those videos where uh, you could see him. He was being filmed, and in the in the background, the audio, you would hear the mom of Casper Dolberg, a Danish lady, uh, wishing him good luck for the game. And it already gives me the chills as I speak about it because it's so. We live we live in an era where where we want to um, consume sports all the time. We want to be. We want to have relevant communications with with the sport, and that that is for companies a the gateway to attention right the attention of society or uh, sports fans is on the club that they have so there's a fantastic gateway of attention there now we're moving from sponsorship 1.0 which is slapping labels onto everything and uh to uh say uh, how do you call that CSR sponsorship, we're now actually moving into highly relevant uh, partnerships. And uh, let me give you an example how CRM and uh, uh, how CRM is being used uh, to create a relevant connection with the fan. Um, Booking.com, uh, which is also based here in Amsterdam, uh, they, they created a, a partnership with UEFA. And uh, what they've done is that they said, okay, uh, next year in 2020, the European Championship is going to be all over Europe. So what probably a lot of fans are going to go if, say, the Dutch team has to play in uh, Stockholm, they're going to travel to Stockholm to watch their team play. Now, very logical. It, it, it makes so much sense what they've done, but it's, it's so new in this industry as well. Is that booking has said, hey, UEFA, that's great. You're going to sell those tickets. Uh, the next thing that the fans would need is an hotel. So let us be your partner uh, where in the uh, customer journey of uh, buying the tickets, we want to claim uh, a position in the, in the, the, say the, the completion, uh, 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 completion page of, of booking the tickets where they say, hey, uh, boss, great that you're going to Stockholm uh, to watch your team play. Uh, we have listed in your... Um, Say in the in the in the in the bandwidth of, of the money that you spend on your tickets, here are five suggestions for hotels in Stockholm, and you can book immediately. And they've taken over the data from uh, knowing that I come from Amsterdam. Da, 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 a couple of information uh, from that uh, from the ticketing process, 
And that's, I think, a very interesting example on how you see the data is being used to make a very relevant connection to the fans. Instead of using uh, very blunt ads via Google advertisement or Facebook or whatever, they just go very targeted onto a small group of, uh, of football fans. And I, I hope they're going to publish at some point how successful this, this uh, campaign has been. But I can, only, uh, I can only imagine that this is so highly relevant. This is going to be a massive, massive success. Yeah, I think that, you, I mean, that's just like one example. And there's so many great things that you can do with the data and with the CRM. And I, you know, I'm just always about controllable things because you just, um, you found with like some of the recent changes on like Facebook's algorithm or the way that, um, you know, Google will manipulate search results, whatever, that if you aren't careful, you lost control of your audience. Right. Because you're building your business on the back of someone else's, um, you, you know, someone else's platform. And so that, you know, when I'm talking about controllable assets, you know, like you were talking about partnerships, it's just important to keep in mind the fact that, like, I want to always be able to control that conversation that mm -hmm. my customer is having with me. Right. Yeah. And I want to show, you know, and, and the, the booking example is great. Right. Because I remember a few years back, I've been a member of the Pearl Jam fan club for a number of years and they did a partnership with Sonos. Right. And so Sonos, that, that's like right. they were able to curate a partnership with Sonos that was reflective of who they were. And it was valuable because they knew who I was. Right. And they knew, yeah. that, you know, like if you're listening, if you're a member of the Pearl Jam fan club, odds are you want high end uh, music equipment or you would, you'd be open to that message. And I think that that is a great example. And I think that combined all of these things, they just show a need to think about a, the customer from all points of view, because it's not just like that night, like you said, not the 90 minutes of the match. It is a holistic thing. It's like a 365 day a year relationship that you can play out using data and CRMs and assets that you can control. Exactly. And it's, it's funny because if someone uh, who's now listening to this podcast uh, is working in a different entertainment industry and is listening to this conversation, you might be uh, like, yeah, duh. of course, that's, that's a partnership that should should take place. That's what we've been doing in, in opera or ballet already for years. And that's so true. There's so many concepts that are moving now from other industries to sports and are being adopted. I think it's a very good uh, yeah, good development. It's very positive. And uh, also the, the storytelling. Uh, some clubs are, are starting to really get uh, the piece of storytelling. Uh, I, I follow, for example... Uh, I think her, her uh, full name is Jessica Smith, War Jess Eagle on on, uh, on Twitter. She she's uh, she. And I think she works for the New York uh, Yankees at the moment. Uh, I could could be wrong. A team in New York. Anyways, yeah, no, that she's she with the Yankees. Yep. Yeah. Okay. She shares so much great content on how you see that uh, American teams are 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 doing their having their just their storytelling uh, right. And that's what now the the IX team has been doing as well in the last season. That's what now the Dutch team has been doing with a new video called The Wave, where you could actually see how they say, okay, you guys might hate us, uh, but uh, uh, sometimes you love us, sometimes you hate, hate us, but there's the, always this new wave coming and uh, having the same dream of becoming European champion. And it's this emotion that uh, that they trigger so well via their own channels they put it on their own website they put it on their own youtube channel they put it anywhere uh, they email it out so that's the controllable assets that they have and they they determine and that's that's great marketing they determine what the 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 dialogue is about uh around their brand yeah and that of course has all has all all kinds of commercial benefits oh yeah and there's th there's two things here right number one is that jess is great and what I really like about the way she looks at things is the fact that, you know, she worked for, I believe, Under Armour before. So her, yeah. so the, I guess like the genesis of the way she views it is through the eyes of a marketer and an advertiser that is trying to sell products to consumers, right? And I think one of you highlighted it. There's a lot of ideas coming into the space from all other industries, which is one of the reasons that. I started the podcast was because I had a lot of those experiences and I was unique, 
a lot of times. And it was difficult to always frame the value proposition because people did not see clearly how you could take an idea from uh, B2B business product sales, right? Like consulting services as an example, and how that would apply to selling sports. And I wanted to take some of these ideas and illustrate them for the people so that they would recognize this. So Jess and her point of view is fantastic because I think it shows, she shows it through the eyes of an advertiser and a marketer that was trying to sell products to people. And I think it's great because it, it helps bring a different point of view to sports marketing. The second part of this, though, is you talked about the waves, right? And I think it's really great because it shows a personality and a point of view for the team. Mm -hmm. And one of the challenges, for, again, for me is often if you're not careful, you don't have you, you, you become anodyne, right? And uh, does anodyne translate for you, um, which means like, uh -huh. you know, kind of uh, bland, passe blah you know right blah. right yeah you if you're not careful your brand doesn't have any sort of edge any sort of personality and that's what i liked about the example you used um, because they do have a, a, a brand they do have an edge they do have a personality and i think that's important because if you follow like i went to the university of alabama that's like no secret to anybody alabama's brand is entirely different than the auburn brand right Alabama's yeah. brand is different than Georgia's brand, right? Because we are we're winners, and Georgia is not. Um, they haven't won a national championship since the eighties, um, you know. So, like we, you know, and that comes through in the in the marketing, and it should, right? Whereas, yeah. like I remember reading a case study from I think it was the Atlanta Hawks, and they were talking about how if you stripped away all of the branding from most of their advertising, you couldn't tell what team it was. And that's a missed opportunity because these are these brands are incredibly powerful assets that you should be highlighted. They should be glorified and they should have a point of view, because if you try to tell me that a Steelers fan is the same as a Patriots fan, I'm going to tell you you're wrong and that you're like probably a moron. Um, but from your point of view, knowing that this is kind of like something that you focus on as well, um, especially as it relates to like how fans connect and build relationships with teams. What are some of the pointers and some of the ideas you have about personality for a brand and personality for the team in the context of how it relates to the fans? Yeah, well, very interesting. I'm writing as I'm, I'm in the writing stage of a blog about this with uh, Jeff Wilson, actually, and I'm pretty sure as soon as this gets published, also the blog will be published at some point. But we're working on a model uh, which is called the growing attendance model. And what, what, what we try to do there is that we strip down everything that you cannot control. So um, if you play a great opponent as a team, yeah, obviously your stadium's got to be full. If you are, um, uh, if you're, your sportive results, so you have four, five, six games uh, that you win, obviously that's going to draw attention, uh, uh, attendance as well. But that's very unsustainable. It's very much uh, relying on sportive results. And let's be honest, if there's a league of 20 teams, there's only one that can win it. There's a couple that can, can qualify for the playoffs in the Holland and the rest wins nothing. So there it's very important. What's the difference? What makes you as a club unique? What are your core values? What's, what are your assets that you have that you can market? And... Um, an example here in the Netherlands is, uh, for example, Nac Breda. No one knows about it internationally, probably, but they have such a strong, uh, strong brand and such a strong community uh, feel around it. They know that the city of Breda is a lot. It's it's a it's a nice student city, but it's also just the the people from the area are are very laid back. They like to have a, have a beer, and the the club has has somehow turned into this 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 epic part of local culture, right? So what you get there is that the stadium is sold out, winning or losing, and they, they, they got relegated, and the stadium is still sold out. And uh, last when I was still working at AZ, we went there for knock AZ as the game. They lost 3-0. So we thought, like, okay, um, let's see how this is going to go. If the, the fans are upset or if they're, they're, they're neutral or they, they might congratulate us or whatever. None of that was true. We walk out and as, as we exit the stadium, I look on my left and there's this, this massive functions function area, right? Function center. 
huge party going on. And we just walk in and we say like, hey, you guys lost 3-0. What's, what's, what's going on? They said, yeah, you know what? We still have a great time. We're here to be with our friends. And we're here to, to enjoy uh, our time together. So if we win, great. If we lose, okay, so be it. We still celebrate. And we stayed there for, year, for uh, hours. And there's, there's, there's a couple of examples in Europe as well. St. Pauli, for example, has such a good um, a connection with the music industry that St. Pauli is also very, very popular in Germany. Um, there's this, just because they have the music culture hanging around it. And I think it's all, um, in England you have the, the same. It's all about what are your local values uh, as a club and how do you um, leverage that uh, as, as a marketing team. Yeah, it's that sense of place, which I think is so very important. And that it's often easy to forget. I think you it, because it's it's like um, it's like anything, right? If you're not if you don't pay attention to something, it becomes easy to forget it, right? Right. It, you know, it's like you were talking about the relationship. If you don't nurture the relationship, it, the relationship can easily lose its power. It can lose. Yeah, you take it for granted. Yeah, exactly right. And I think sense of place is is something like that. Like you forget how important that is, right? You like college sports, right? I, so I follow religiously two things. I follow the Alabama Crimson Tide, and there's a, mm -hmm. I mean, definitive sense of place there. The other thing I follow religiously is Tottenham Hotspur, right? So, right. Uh, so I, I held back on any. Uh, Ix related uh, comments, <laughs> uh, but but the thing is, it's like it's a it's a sense of place, right? Like you know, and you they're very rooted in North London, right? The N seventeen, mm -hmm. right? And it, and it it translates because it's a working class team, right? And it's a uh, a team that's you know has a definite sense of community and place. And even though they built the the most grand stadium in Europe, they're still like they made sure that they built the stadium. And they built this palace to football that still has reflections of the community spirit involved in it. And I think it's like something you have to pay attention to because if not, it's easy. You know, your experience becomes uh, uh, muted, right? And, it does, and then you lose the connection with your fans unless, right. unless I'm missing something. Well, maybe a different example. Uh, Brentford, which is also based in, uh, in London. And we, know, we all know the, the Arsenals and the Chelsea's and the Tottenham's and then name it. But Brentford was always this, this quiet club from, uh, from London, right? But they were still, still playing there. And, and when they got, I think the year before they got promoted to the Premier League, they hired a guy named uh, Ryan Murns, who actually is very good in, in uh, how do you say, am uh, amplifying the strength of the, of the club. So what they did is actually that they, they made it a choice that if you go for quality football in London, you probably go to a different team. If you come for a family feel at a club, where are your place to be? And uh, they've, ever since they, they hired him, he's been doing some fantastic stuff. Uh, for example, they, they, value, they value kids uh, so much there that um, they have this, this, this thing going now that uh, kids coming to the stadium, they, they, they hang up like this Say it's it's a it's a whiteboard of 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 a couple of meters wide and uh, uh, maybe a meter a meter high. Kids can write uh, write their 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 uh, best wishes on 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 some sort of a postcard, right? And uh, a couple of kids can actually get selected to bring that into the uh, into the dressing room ten minutes before kickoff. So a lot of the kids at the stadium can actually write, "Hey, uh, striker, uh, hope you uh, score twice today." And then two kids get selected to bring that to the uh, to the dressing room. That's an experience you cannot find anywhere in London. Probably not England. Probably not even the world. But them just highlighting the unique uh, uh, concepts that they they have, and that's what Ryan is really good at. He he knows what are the unique assets that we control, controllable assets, and how can I leverage that in a fantastic fan experience. And now they're actually moving into a new stadium because it's going so well with the club, uh, not just because the fan, uh, fan engagement stuff, of course, but it all adds together. Yeah. And now it's one of the best fan engagement examples in 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 the Europe. Yeah, it, I mean, they they do do a good <coughs> job. And the other one that I would point to that had sort of a, I think, 
you know, if you talked about Brentford, they would focus on the family, and then Fulham would always be like a challenger, right? Mm. In in the strictest sense. But th- those two examples from London, they're in the shadow of Chelsea or Tottenham or Arsenal, but right. they have created this own, their own unique space for themselves that makes them relevant and it speaks specifically to their market. And then they continue to cultivate that and grow it. It's, you know, and it, and I think that when you look at it like this, it's not because minor league baseball would fill a similar role in the States. And mm-hmm. when you realize, when you take away the things you can't control, right. Which again, like you said, winning and losing, right. You, you don't always have great control over that. Um, you don't have much control over the weather. You don't have, a, you know, there's, there's a lot that you don't have control over. Right. What do you control? Right. I can control the way that people feel when they come to the ballpark. Right. Like so everybody has to go through security and get their tickets taken. Do I but I can control whether or not that's like a um, an awful experience or if it's a good experience. I can control, you know, the lines and the way people feel when they're waiting online to get food and drink. Right. There's no need for a half warm beer. Give me a cold. Give somebody a cold beer. Right. Like, I mean, exactly. I'm an adult. Give me a normal beer. (laughs) Yeah. Elevate. the. I mean, like, I mean, if there's no greater, greater joy in life than like going to like an afternoon, like for me, right. An afternoon baseball game and having a cold beer with like some friends. There's not very many much better experiences in my, um, you know, in my, in, in my life than that. One of the best. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's up there. Right. Um, you know, and it's just like when I went to uh, Wembley for soccer one time, the, when you first come out, uh, I don't, I'm sure they designed it this way, but when you come out through the, um, into the, to see the pitch the first time and it's lit up and you're like, Oh my mm. God, I'm in the home of soccer. <laughs> it's, right. it's like, it's unbelievable. It's a, it, you know, it, but you can control all those things. You make those as awesome as possible it's, and everything and else. It's, will take care of itself. Exactly. And it's it's nice to realize as well. I know it's it's very um, it's an unpopular thing to do when you work in the industry, right? But in the end, your uh, the sports experience is a product. And your product as as a marketer, it's your role to find the right audience for that product, but also to keep developing that product to to see if it can become a better match with the audience that you're trying to reach. So, and that that's why I like the Brentford example. But there there are quite some clubs actually uh, around. Um, another Dutch example, FC Utrecht, for example, where they actually said, "Okay, we have the stadium." They realized very well this is our our uh, our play field. This is part of the product, and we want to improve it. So they've this summer they've installed safe uh, safe standing. So at the 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 Fanatics uh, stand, they have to take a lot of seats out. Now, what they've done actually is that they said, um, instead of putting the safe uh, standing in, before they did that, they actually said, hey, um, let's see if we can create something similar like Borussia Dortmund, where you have uh, the Gelbe Wand, which is the yellow wall, uh, and it's it's massive, right? I think 25,000 people sit there on one stand. They wanted to create something similar, so they actually said to the fanatics, hey, let's let's see if we can do something to get closer to that. So what the fans have done, actually, and the club allows that, of course, because in the end, it's a, it's a product that you both um, uh, create, and that's one of the unique aspects of the sports industry. You both, uh, the producer and the consumer, create the product. Um, the fans actually painted the, the concrete red, so all of a sudden the entire stand became uh, became red, and now it looks way more like a red wall, which is the color of FC Utrecht. So the fans painted it, then the safe standing came in. And now you have a fantastic stand there, which is co-produced by the fans that sit there week in, week out. I think it's, again, a fantastic example of uh, yeah, of fan engagement. You engage the fans in creating a better product for both. And there's one other point that you made that um, I think we shouldn't gloss over. Which is like you talked about, and this is some, again something that I try to highlight pretty regularly: the idea of bringing ideas from other industries. And mm-hmm. when you're talking about some of these things too, it's I want to steer people away from like going, "Well, let me just look at all the things other sports teams are doing," yeah. because too often we fall into the trap of, "Well, this is a best in class." And I always try to encourage people to go, "Well, what's best in the world?" Right? Yeah. And you know. 
I would be curious to see where you think some people could steal some ideas from um, that they can apply to sport. And I'll and I'll start to give you a second to catch up um, with two of my favorites, right? Which is, you know, when we talk about premium seating areas all over the world, right? Um, most of the times, like again, the best in class thing. But I go when I go to a lot of places, I go what compared to what like best compared to what and when you're trying to maximize so much revenue or trying to create a premium experience to me best in class isn't enough i want world-class best and i often Mm -hmm. look to organizations like the peninsula hotel chain or the four seasons or even um virgin air when you know you go to that you know terminal five in london uh you know as ways to like elevate the premium experience, right? That's one example of, you know, taking an idea from somewhere else and applying it to sport because, you know, you, you think about the way that you would greet your guests at the Four Seasons or like if you get greeted at the Four Seasons, it's an entirely different experience, right? Or the way that like, you know, there's just like so when you go to the, the Virgin, um, the upper class lounge, it's uh, just like overwhelming the amount of choice and the amount of space. And that's like how transportive the, 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 the feeling can be. Um, the second example, too, that I think people don't necessarily always think to look at nearly enough is how somebody's gain, gaining people's attention. Right. So like we think about sports marketing. Um, as pretty static as being like, oh, well, this is the best practice because this is the way that Major League Baseball is doing it or this is the way the NFL is doing it or this is the way somebody else is doing it. Mm-hmm. But look at all these in other industries and the way that they are um, engaging and creating connections with their markets, right? Um, you know, use a professional services company and go, I'm selling to business-to-business buyers. What can I learn from them, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, and those are like all like two ideas – for how you can take something that you have like kind of ignored maybe and apply it to sports business in a way that's going to be meaningful and moves you past best in class to kind of best in the world. But right. I'd be here curious to see where your attention goes when I ask you something like that. Well, it's, it's interesting. You already tapped into the airline industry, which I also find one of the, the most interesting industries to look at because they've done a couple of things. They know that competition is fierce. So they really need to either uh, compete on price or they need to compete on uh, service delivery and service quality. KLM is a very good Dutch example. I, I keep hanging into the Dutch examples, but they're, they're very good in knowing on what happens if someone comes on the KLM website. He wants to uh, look on, uh, hey, what, where do I need to go? They make everything in the entire customer journey so easy. They send the tickets uh, to you by messenger. Uh, they send it to you uh, by WhatsApp. They said they uh, you could easily add it to your wallet. And just everything they they make so easy and simple. And they they send you via WhatsApp. They send you a, uh, messages on the day of of departure if something changes. They send you a message on hey, do you want to keep your family updated? Share this link to them, and they can see. Uh, uh, we will make sure they can they can track down uh, how your travels go which is what you do, of course, with your family. So airline industry is, is, is beyond, uh, is, is by far, the be- I think, the best uh, in the digital sphere is the, one of the best industry uh, industries uh, to use as an example. Another example that you could see, it's a very obvious one. Uh, everyone knows it as well. It's Starbucks. Let's be honest. Uh, my girlfriend's from Italy, for example. Every time I go to Italy, I could get a 50 cents coffee, which is off the charts so good of quality. Italian coffee is is by far the best, and it's only 50 cents because what does it really cost? It's just water and and some some grinded beans, and it costs maybe 10, 20 cents to produce. Now Starbucks man- manages to sell it for way more than what it actually costs and that's because you get a couple of things you get consistency in delivery you get personalization because everywhere in the world it's it's the same but also they write down your name uh, on the cup you know exactly what type of product you're going to get and they add services to it so for example when i was uh, speaking at a uh, conference in i think it was in ljubljana in slovenia I had some time to kill and I wanted to do get some work done. So what do you need? You need a nice place to sit and you need Wi-Fi, basically. That's what the digital nomads of these days uh, uh, kind of need. So first thing that ran through my mind, 
Starbucks. And that's that's something they've created over the years out of consistency and every time just having a proper uh, experience. And that's it's a completely different industry. But if you you can easily translate that back to sports and think, okay, how can my brand be so good and so consistent uh, in experience that it can it will drive people back to the stadium? Right. And let me give let me give me one final example. Um, we're living in the content era as well, and I see that sports is is struggling a bit with how to work, uh, how to make uh, content, uh, how to monetize content, because there's a lot of budget going into content, but uh, which is great to to um, create the brand image and to create a better brand product. But of course, content also needs to deliver some value at some point. And that's, this is exactly why I've now uh, actually stepped away from uh, the sports industry for a bit. I'm still doing my consultancy, but I'm not working in the club anymore. And I've taken a sidestep into the media industry. Because what I'm doing now is that uh, who knows better how to work with content than a newsroom. They've been doing this for years. Newspapers have always been creating content and always had to compete with other uh, other uh, content uh, or other other newsrooms to to gr- to grab the attention. So what I'm doing now is actually that I'm, I've stepped uh, stepped aside into the media uh, business and I'm working on a newsroom uh, as a as a content analyst to see which content is most effective for people to to gain page views, which content is most effective to actually uh, generate uh, revenue via uh, selling memberships. So people need to hit the paywall. Uh, how could I get uh, as the most efficient group of readers through that paywall with what type of content? And it's basically all about distribution of the story that the newspaper is, is selling all the time. Now, those learnings after, say, a year, maybe two years, or however, how long it's going to take, I'm going to take back into the sports industry because all... I, uh, what we see a lot in sports content now is that everyone is setting up their own OTT platform and everyone's putting up some paywalls. But the next question is, why should someone pay for uh, specifically only Arsenal content if they could also uh, watch a lot of content of all other clubs on Sky? So, And this is kind of the battle that's happening. So you need two things. You need unique content and you need to know, you need to know very well what content creates conversion? Why does the audience come to you? And how can you bring that content to the audience which they value? And that that's, explains my sidestep a bit. I think that the, the media industry knows that very well. Uh, I'm going to take the best learnings from that and then actually apply that back into sports. Yeah, and you highlight a couple of things that I think are great, which is like the value for attention needs to always be increasing. Because if not, somebody else is probably beating you to the punch. And the mm-hmm. other thing is, well, I guess there's two things here. But it's like always be learning and always be looking for how I can take the things I learn and apply them to the area of my focus. Right. And, you know, and I, if you could only – if we can only convince people of those three things, I think we will have done a great job. <laughs> Hopefully, <laughs> yeah. Where can people – oh, go, I'm sorry. Now, yeah, people also said, yeah, why do you step out of sports? Because it's such a sexy industry. But it's that's very true. But I will, let me tie back into the, the the book that you mentioned before, Soccernomics. Really struck me when I read it, and it's it actually has uh, it mentioned somewhere in the beginning of the book. It says that uh, it's just good to realize that if you combine the revenues of all the football clubs together in the English Premier League, it's still not as much as Sainsbury a supermarket chain in the UK makes on an annual basis. So we, we think of, of, of these football clubs as these massive beasts, which they are uh, in terms of the attention that they receive. But if you see how small the teams are behind it, for example, uh, that work in the business side, but also if you compare then the revenues compared to a regular supermarket chain, it's very interesting to realize what the position is of the football industry. So if you work in an industry that um, uh, where commercial revenue is far more relevant um, and is your first line of survival, 
you have a lot of wins to then uh, move that into the into the sports industry because that's that's where the sports industry is going to move to. No, I, I, that's exactly right. Now, where can people find you on the internet? Because I'm sure they're going to want to read these articles, these collaborations that you have coming up. Because <laughs> we were talking about doing one as well. So not besides the growing attendance model that you've created, we're at some point we're going to create our own model. So where can I point people to to find out more about you or to find more of like your writing and your thoughts? Well, first of all, Google, of course, Google knows everything. Uh, so if you Google my name there, you will find my Twitter, which is tweeted up. Uh, my handle is @barsnater, which C H sort of a German uh, pronunciation. Uh, I can be found on LinkedIn. Uh, that's basically my main two go-to platforms. I, I, I try to be very active on Twitter. I try to share as much as I do I, as I can on uh, the consulting, uh, which I do with UEFA, for example. I try to share those uh, experiences. I try to share Formula One uh, experiences that I do. Uh, try to visit as many sports, different sports, and deliver back to the industry. Uh, and also now with media, there's a couple of blogs coming up on how paywalling should work, uh, in my opinion, in, in the sports industry. Uh, so, yeah, there's a, there's a lot to come there. Yeah, no, it's great. Well, and thank you so much for doing this. Thanks a lot for, uh, yeah, for having What did you think of my conversation with Baz? Let me know by sending me an email. It is my name, Dave, at DaveWakeman.com. You can find out what I'm up to by visiting me on my website. That's www.DaveWakeman.com. You are, as I've mentioned several times, you're going to start to see a little bit different uh, branding going on there, a little bit uh, more focus, and you're going to be able to start seeing a calendar and a store where I'm going to offer different ideas and opportunities for people to engage with me. And I'm going to give you some new stuff to learn from. Uh, It's all in an effort to understand and make sure that my work at the intersection of sports and entertainment, where people create connections, relationships, and communities, intersects with revenue. So there's going to be a lot of stuff and a lot of changes that are going on over the next couple weeks there. Um, You can connect with me. Follow me on Twitter, right, at David Wakeman. Um, as I've mentioned on, I think, almost 100 episodes here, if you know the person who has the at Dave Wakeman Twitter handle, get it for me. I'd love to have it, and the guy hasn't tweeted since 2014, so give it to me. Connect with me on LinkedIn. You can search my name, David Wakeman, or Dave Wakeman, actually, and you'll find me right there. Connect with me. Um, as always, I would love it if you would share an episode of The Business of Fun with a colleague, a guest, a co- friend, whomever you think would benefit from these episodes. It's a really great way to continue to encourage me to find great guests, to deliver great content, and it helps grow the podcast, which is awesome for everybody. If you have already shared it, I'd love it if you'd subscribe. We are on all the major podcast platforms right now, and if you're already a subscriber, I would love it if you would leave a recommendation, a review good or bad. It helps me make sure that people find out about the podcast. It helps me know what to do better. It helps me figure out what you're looking for and what's going to be valuable to you. As always, I want to thank my friends at Booking Protect for being great partners of the Business Fun Podcast. Uh, Any listing, any sector, anywhere, Booking Protect has you covered with the world's most comprehensive refund protection product. You know that they deliver the best customer service in the world and as a partner of Booking Protect, you can generate new revenue for your business. So find them at www.bookingprotect.com. As I've mentioned many, many times before, you can find me and Simon Mab, Booking Protect CEO, at the Ticketing Professionals Conference in Sydney, Australia on the 14th and 15th of November. It's going to be awesome. All right. We're both super excited. I'm going to be giving the opening keynote on change, and Simon's going to be talking about customer service. It's going to be fantastic. Get tickets at www.ticketingprofessionals.com.au. Again, that's www.ticketingprofessionals.com.au. As an added bonus, you get your tickets today, you forward me your receipt to davidavewakeman.com, and I will hook you up with some sort of bonus. Uh, Depends on how many people are going, depends on all kinds of things. It's going to be great. It's going to be a bonus. It's going to be awesome. So get your tickets and come see us. As I mentioned at the start, make sure if you're in sports business, or any kind of entertainment business, really, this will work for theater, arts, anybody. I'm going to be doing my first ever one-day workshop in Melbourne. 
I hope I said that right, because all my friends in Australia will tell me if I didn't. On the 18th of November in Melbourne, I will be delivering Fans for Life, creating and keeping fans in the modern economy. It's a one-day workshop that I've created specifically to help address the needs of people marketing and selling live experiences. We are going to cover the lifetime fan value. We are going to cover the sports marketing funnel. We're going to talk about using and getting ideas from anywhere, any business in the world. We are going to cover sales strategies, marketing strategies, strategy strategies that you can implement the next day. It's going to be um, really, really exciting. It's going to be a great way for people from all aspects of the live entertainment industry to interact and engage and learn from each other and create new connections, uh, new accountabilities, and generate new ideas that will grow their business uh, through the rest of 2019, but especially important as we head into 2020. So go to Eventbrite and search for Fans for Life. Uh, there should be a link for that also in the show notes. I hope to see you there. As always, I want to thank you for being a listener of the Business of Fun podcast. It means so much to me to be able to spend an hour or so with you each week. Um, so until next time, thanks for listening and take it easy. <laughs>